Welcome. I am excited to be able to spend some time with all of you this morning, whether you are here in person or watching online. Um, it is truly a blessing and an honor. Um, for those of you I haven't met yet, I'm Emma Murphy, the Congregational Care Pastor here at Mount Horeb. And it is always such a delight to be in this room and to recognize so many faces, even with your masks on. Um, so this morning, we are going through our series, All the Feels, and we're going to be a little honest with each other this morning. How many of you have heard that phrase before? The millennials in the room. Oh, okay, we got a few more. All right, a few. Well, for those of you that haven't heard this phrase before, it's something us young folk say often. I remember growing up, my mom used to say these phrases like, keep it on the QT, or that's groovy. She grew up in the 70s, if you can tell. And my brothers and I used to make so much fun of her. We'd say, mom, no one says those things anymore. And so all the feels is one of those phrases that we've coined, just like her generation coined certain phrases. So what does it mean? What does all the feels mean? Well, feels is simply short for feelings. And so what this phrase is talking about is experiencing a range or mix of different emotions or feelings. I love to watch a good rom-com, romantic comedy, with my husband Truman, and he may not feel the same way, but in the matter of just an hour and a half movie, I can go from laughing my head off to tears streaming down my face that range of emotions, that mix of feelings is what we would call all the feels. Our moods, our emotions, our feelings, they matter. They're important, they're what make us human. However, part of being human is learning how to navigate these emotions. Our feelings should not govern us, but they should guide us. And ultimately, they can help guide us into living a life that honors ourselves and others and God well. And as Christians, we have an incredible example of how to feel our feelings well. It's the Sunday school answer, friends, Jesus. So we're going to get a little theological ner theologically nerdy this morning. I'm going to use my seminary degree, and we're going to talk about the Incarnation. In John 1.14, we're told the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This means he literally put on our flesh and blood and became human, the person of Jesus. Jesus was fully divine and fully human. And so therefore the person of Jesus reveals what it means to be fully human and made in the image of God. Jesus's emotions reflect the image of God without flaw or distortion. So the feelings of Jesus can make us aware of our need for transformation of our emotions so that we can be fully human as he is. Dr. Bill kicked us off last week by going through the emotion of compassion, how Jesus experienced compassion and how we should feel compassion based on his example. And this week, we're going to tackle a little bit of a heavier emotion, grief. Grief, the emotional response to loss. 
Any kind of loss that does not allow the future you had planned to happen. Maybe you've lost someone you love or you've lost out on opportunities or experiences because of COVID. You've lost the health that you once had. You've lost your job. You've had to give up a long held dream. Maybe you've recently moved to this area and you're experiencing the loss of everything you you left behind. Each of these kinds of loss cause pain, sadness, hurt, grief. One of the best examples of Jesus's own grief is the story of Lazarus's death in John 11. At the beginning of this chapter, we are told that Lazarus of Bethany, the brother of Mary and Martha who we're familiar with, send for Jesus because their brother is ill. But Jesus is in another town and he waits for a couple days before he actually makes it to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And by that time, Lazarus has been dead for four days. Martha immediately comes out to greet Jesus while Mary stays in her home for a little while. Martha goes to tell her sister that Jesus is there and wants to speak to her. And so where we're gonna pick up today is when Mary actually comes out to finally greet Jesus. If you have your Bible, feel free to open it to John 11. We're going to start in verse 32. Um, But if you don't, that's okay too. We'll have it on the screens. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. I want to stop here for just a moment before we get any further in the text or this message. I think often in our culture, we associate grief with weakness. There is this stigma connected to grief. So I want to tell you this morning that it's okay to grieve. In this passage, we clearly see Jesus grieving the loss of his friend and grieving for his friend's loss. I love what Max Lucado writes about this moment. This is what he says. Jesus's tears give you permission to shed your own. Grief does not mean you don't trust. It simply means you can't stand the thought of another day without the Lazarus in your life. And so I want you to know this morning, church, that it's okay to grieve. It's okay. And not only is it okay, but it's necessary. Let's continue in verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor. He has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out 
his hands and feet wrapped with the strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So church, what does this story of Jesus, what does this passage teach us about, to ha- about how to handle our grief well? Well, first it teaches us that it's important for us to identify our grief. When we experience loss of some kind, our initial reaction is to avoid or deny that grief because grief is not a comfortable emotion to feel. As humans, we don't want to feel pain of any kind. So instead of identifying or naming our grief, we tend to run from it. Many of you already know this, but I went to Duke Divinity School for my master's degree. Um, But what most of you probably don't know is that those three years in seminary were the hardest of my life. It wasn't because school was difficult or my classes were difficult. No, it was because I spent those three years grieving. I was grieving the loss of developing relationships that I had developed in college that I just couldn't seem to develop in grad school. I was grieving the loss of a connection to a location like I had in Spartanburg, my home, or Anderson where I went to college. I was grieving the loss of being close to home, being close to my family. And most of all, I was grieving the loss of my identity in a way. All of these feelings of loss caused me to to not truly ever feel like myself in grad school. The happy, outgoing, extroverted person I was in college just wasn't there anymore. This grief had changed me in a lot of ways. I remember driving to Spartanburg to see my family or driving here to Columbia to visit Truman. And as I would drive over the state line into South Carolina, I would feel like I could breathe again. And without fail, every time I had to make that four hour long trip back to Durham, so I would drive back into North Carolina, I would have tears streaming down my face. If you would have asked me any time during that time at Duke or six months after, I probably would have given you a very filtered version of the truth. It was tough, but I learned a lot. And the reason I did that was because I don't think I've truly identified my grief until recently. I avoided my grief because I didn't truly want to face the pain I was experiencing. I denied my grief because I thought if I told others what I was feeling, that my situation would be true. I ran for my grief because I wanted my situation to be different. What are the reasons you avoid grief? For most of you in this room, you've lived long enough to have experienced it. Are you avoiding in fear of how you'll react to those uncomfortable emotions? Worried that you'll lose control? Or are you afraid of getting stuck there? Fear that you'll never get over this loss, that you'll never feel normal or okay again. Or maybe you think grief is a lesser spiritual state than joy. That some, someone at some point in your life has said to you, those who believe need not grieve. And you internalize those words so much that you started believing that your grief is somehow connected to your faith that if you're grieving, it's because you don't trust God enough. 
But what does Jesus do in this passage, friends? Jesus identifies his grief. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. In the Greek, this word for deeply moved means groaning violently and troubled means shaken to the depths of his being. Jesus was profoundly moved with deep sorrow for his grief and the grief of his friends. And then Jesus wept. We experience Jesus's own tears, tears of pain, of anguish, of sadness. Jesus does not deny or run from or avoid his grief. He embraces it, he allows it, he weeps. There might be someone listening this morning here in the room or online that needs to identify their grief, to name it. You've been avoiding it or denying it for some time now. You've been pushing down or pushing away those emotions because they're uncomfortable. You don't wanna feel that pain. But church, it's important to talk about your grief. We can't get any further in processing it until we actually identify it, until we actually name the true source of our grief. This could start simply with you admitting to yourself that you're grieving and then find someone that you trust, someone that you love, someone that is safe to you and share what you're feeling. And by doing this, you're taking the first healthy step of saying my feelings matter and it's okay to feel this way. Instead of repressing or avoiding this feeling that could lead to intense emotions of anxiety, depression, resentment, or even destructive behavior, it's important to face it head on. Identifying the true source of your grief will enable you to authentically confront the reality of your loss. And once you are willing to take the healthy step of identifying your grief, you must journey with your grief. Friends, grief is a journey. Grief is a process and everyone's journey is different. No two people will grieve the same way. I would consider myself a pretty emotional person. Um, you can ask my husband, he'll definitely agree with you. When I experience loss, I need to cry. I just gotta cry it out. I need to process my grief with tears but I have family members and friends that grieve in all kinds of ways. Those that initially grieve with anger or need to grieve in solitude or grieve in silence. In our story, we actually see two very different journeys of grief with Mary and Martha. Martha immediately goes out to Jesus and, and says to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And this statement echoes the questions that some of us ask God when we're initially processing our grief. Where were you, God? How could you have let this happen to me? Why are you letting me experience this pain? Martha needed to process her grief externally at first. But what is Mary doing? Mary is back in the house. She doesn't come out until Martha goes to get her. Mary needs to process her grief in solitude. Our journey of grief is not only different in how we grieve, but also in how long we grieve. There is no normal timetable for grieving. 
The grieving process takes time and healing happens gradually. Some folks, you start to feel normal after a few weeks, maybe a couple months. For others, it takes years. And to be honest, there will be different instances throughout your life that trigger that grief again. And to be even more honest, grief changes us. The loss ultimately altered the future we had planned. And so when we experience loss, we are forever different in some ways. This week, I stumbled upon the story of Rick Warren, the pastor at Saddleback Church in California, and his wife, Kay's son, Matthew. Matthew, age 27 at the time, committed suicide in April of 2013 after struggling with mental illness for his entire life. Almost a year after Matthew's death, death Kay wrote on Facebook this. As the one-year anniversary of Matthew's death approaches, I have been shocked by some subtle and not so subtle comments indicating that perhaps I should be ready to move on. I have to tell you, the old Rick and Kay are gone. They're never coming back. We will never be the same again. Friends, each one of our journeys with grief will be different. The process will be unique for each person experiencing loss and that's okay. That's why it's important to give others space to grieve as they need. It would be an offense to the journey of grief to tell others that they have to grieve just like we do. But it's also important to remember that although we journey with grief differently, we do not journey alone. Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible and probably one of the most profound because it reminds us that God is always with us in our grief. God is not a distant God. He is beside us, weeping beside us. Our God is a God that grieves. The prophet Isaiah declares in chapter 53 this about Jesus. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds, we are healed. Jesus man of sorrows. What a name. For the son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah. What a savior. Jesus, our savior, makes our grief his own. He makes our pain his pain. He makes our sorrows his sorrows. But just as Jesus was with Mary and Martha and us in our grief, the church should be also. As the body of Christ, we are called to be like him, to journey with one another in grief. And journeying with grief, through grief with someone is hard and can be messy, can be uncomfortable, can be a little scary. You might be fearful of saying the wrong thing or, or messing up, make matters worse. But those that are grieving just need you to simply show up, to be a compassionate listener, 
and to follow up with them. As a congregational care pastor, I experience this on a daily basis. Our team witnesses people grieving differently and it's hard. But the most important thing is that we grieve alongside them, that no one grieves alone. And so I'm thankful. I'm thankful to be a part of an incredible church, an incredible congregation that has wonderful resources for people that are experiencing this grief. We have amazing support groups, Stephen Ministry, pastors that wanna come alongside those that are experiencing this grief. I think Paul says it best in Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. There can be great healing in the community of believers. And finally, church, this passage teaches us, don't waste your grief. Friends, do not waste your grief. Your experience, your story could be the very thing that brings hope someone else's grief. Second Corinthians 1, three through four declares, praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. We waste our grief when we bury it. We waste our grief when we don't allow God to use it to comfort others with the comfort we have received from him. And so how do we do this? We share our comfort. We share our story. We share our grief. We are vulnerable with our grief. When I was in college, I served at a church as a youth intern and at that church, I got very close to the students and their parents. And after I'd already gone to grad school, I got a call from one of the students in uh, 2017 that another student had tragically died and was found in her apartment. Her family, her church, her friends, we were obviously devastated. And I pray I never have to lose a child for weeks, we wondered what happened to her as her family waited the results of the autopsy. And I'll never forget going on Facebook and reading what they said. This young now college student had a medical condition that ultimately developed an autoimmune disease. But because of her pre-existing condition, it had masked the symptoms of this developing autoimmune disease before, and before long it was too late and she had died. But this family, they had so many friends that came up to them and said that their worst nightmare would be losing a child. And this, these parents realized that their worst nightmare would be not telling others about the symptoms, about this disease that killed their daughter. If they could help someone else, they wanted to be able to do it. And so they shared their story they're vulnerable with their grief. And now they are advocates to bring awareness to this disease, to fight for other people, to bring hope to others out of their grief. They're sharing their comfort that they got from God with others. And this is exactly 
what Jesus does with Lazarus at the end of our story. I want to reread it for us. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. In this scene, we experience Jesus resurrecting Lazarus from the dead. He's resurrected. But more than this being an incredible sign, a miraculous event, Jesus is sharing his story with Lazarus. He anticipated his own story of resurrection that was soon to come and shared it with his friend. And even more than that, Jesus is sharing with us the comfort and the promise that all who have died in Christ will be resurrected into a new and eternal life. Another way we waste our grief church is if we think that it has the final word, but it doesn't because we have hope in this promise of resurrection. As believers in Jesus, we do not grieve the way the world grieves. First Thessalonians 4.13 says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Paul is not saying in this passage that you're forbidden to grieve. Instead, he exclaims that Christians grieve in a unique way. Those who believe in Jesus grieve with hope. We grieve out of the hope that the death and destruction that has caused all this pain will one day be gone. We grieve out of the hope that God is resurrecting all things and making them new. Church, this is the pattern for us to experience full resurrection life, for us to have full resurrection power, for us to have full resurrection hope. We have to identify our grief. We need to journey with our grief. And finally, we must never waste our grief. When we do that, when we follow this pattern, we live out the full resurrection life that God has for us. Would you pray with me? Loving Father, thank you for being a God that weeps, that weeps beside us when we are experiencing grief. Thank you for making our pain, your pain, our sorrows, your sorrows. Thank you for not being a distant God, but right beside us. Lord, I pray over this congregation today, for those watching online, there's someone out there that needs to take that hard first step of identifying their grief. And so Lord, I pray that you will be with them, that you will give them the courage to do that. There are others that are in this journey of grief that need to be reminded that you are with them, that need to be reminded that others want to come alongside them. 
And if they need that today, God, I pray that you will give them the boldness to ask for help. And finally, God, I pray that you will encourage us all not to waste our grief. That we will go out into the world and share our story with others in the hopes of bringing hope to their grief. We ask all of these things in your precious and holy name. Amen.